Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's great to have you back. We have so much to cover in this little short intro. Number one, Paul Grand is back. He is going to be an integral part of Device Talks Boston. His MedTech Innovator Program will be a huge part of our innovation and investment track. We'll talk all about that in the podcast. Paul will once again sit in on the New Markers Newsmaker session, but we'll also talk about uh, you or about startup CEOs who want to be part of MedTech Innovator and who want to present at Device Talks Boston. It's a great opportunity. So please uh, listen in. You'll you'll find it interesting if you're a startup CEO, and I think you'll find it interesting if you're not, because we talk about a lot of different uh, different things going on in the in the medtech world, including uh, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. To that point, uh, I just wanted to direct you to a tweet that I uh, put out today on Friday. Uh, a local company, uh, a fishing company called, uh, they sell fish, I buy fish from them, called New England Fishmongers, uncovered a, a mammoth tooth, a woolly mammoth tooth from the bottom of the seafloor, and they're auctioning it off on eBay. So uh, if you're interested in uh, in owning one of those and knowing that all the proceeds will go to benefit Ukrainian refugees, uh, I thought I just would alert the world of my tweet and of this availability. It's kind of cool, kind of unique. So, uh, so do check it out. But back to uh, our conversations, we'll cover a lot of different things here today, uh, including the uh, an article in which uh, Sean Hooley reviewed the top performing med techs of, uh, of 2021 per stock price. So I'll include the link to that article in the show notes. I'll also include a link to a webinar I'll be putting on on Tuesday, March 15th. It's very short, 10 minutes. Uh, if you're interested in being part of Device Talks Boston or any of our Device Talks meetings, just uh, register. You can watch it live uh, on a Tuesday afternoon, I believe it's two o'clock Eastern, or you can watch it on demand. And uh, just it's my giving sort of a, an overview of what Device Talks is becoming uh, through the power of this podcast, through the power of our other programs. It's going to be a great event in Boston, a great event in Minnesota. And I've already got some great speakers lined up for uh, Device Talks Santa Clara, which is in October. So it's crazy. We're crazy ahead of time there. So uh, again, check it out. Uh, the link will be in the show notes and you can register for that and watch it uh, live or, or watch it on demand at, at your convenience. I also want to remind you, it's Friday as I record this, Friday at 5.27 p.m. Eastern, and uh, our early bird rate is will only be around for a few more hours. So if you're one of those uh, many, many people who actually listen to this uh, on Friday night and you're interested in attending Device Talks Boston, you should register right away. You should uh, take advantage of our $100 off early bird rate and also use the code DTW25, Device Talks Weekly 25, to save 25% off that already discounted rate. Uh, you'll save a bundle of money. So make sure you do that. You can also use that code for Device Talks Minnesota. The early bird rate is still in effect there since that uh, meeting is happening a few weeks after Device Talks Boston. But in any case, even after the early bird rate expires, use that code DTW25 to save 25% off the price. Finally, our guest today is Dr. Sally Saba. She's the Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer at Medtronic. She was the guest on our first episode of Season 2 of Medtronic Talks, which went out this week. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, it was nice to talk about efforts to make people feel better and feel more included. So I wanted to share it in this podcast episode. So I've kind of given you an, an abbreviated or abridged version of the uh, Medtronic Talks uh, podcast. So you'll hear the opening music. You'll hear the description. Uh, it's really a fun uh, 
podcast and we're going to hit upon a lot of critical issues. So if you're not listening to it, you should listen to it. You can subscribe to it. It has its own podcast channel. We don't usually send it out through this podcast channel. So find it on Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you can subscribe there. Or of course, you can find it on devicetalks.com or medtronic.com. So Sally was a a treat to talk to. I'm hoping she'll be speaking at Device Talks Minnesota as well, but uh, haven't quite confirmed that yet, but we'll hope. So that's it. Thank you, folks, for uh, for push and play, and uh, let's get this podcast started. All right, you ready for this? Ready. <laughs> Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, Tom. Doing well. Good to be back. Yeah, it's uh, well. We've got some some issues to discuss today. I'm very happy to have back in the booth Paul Grand, the CEO of MedTech Innovator. Paul, welcome back. Oh, welcome back. Thank you very much. Very good to be here again in the booth. It's it feels it's really not that crowded in here. It feels nice. You guys got set up pretty comfortably. I like the I like the uh, the lounge chairs now that you guys get set up. This is pretty nice. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, no, we're, we're we definitely yeah. live a life of comfort, Chris and I. Uh, we're, we're we're catered to. And uh, I see you brought the uh, hummus and pita plate today, right, Tom? I mean, <laughs> are those olives there? Are those you got olives? I, I appreciate, you know, that you guys have got a healthy set of snacks. I, I hate yeah. when I go into the green room and it's full of donuts, you know, like that's not healthcare. So thank you guys for being conscious of that. We do remove all the green M&Ms though. So we, 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 we were conscious I, of I that as well. That. Yeah. I did <laughs> so, and you also, if, if folks are noticing a, a difference in, in sound, you have an enormous po- professional microphone in front of you and you sound fantastic, Paul Grant. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. I listened to the last time I was in the booth. And uh, with you boys, and uh, I was running around, and I had to stop, and I was like, "My God, I sound terrible. <laughs> I sound great. Uh, you know, what am I thinking? I got to get, I got to pull my mic out." So, thank you uh, for uh, pointing that out. Yes, I, I like having the prof- professional setup here. Um, I can't. I don't know if I can compete with you guys, but. Well, we'll, we'll you. You're, you're definitely at our level in that regard. So you are back specifically to talk about uh, Device Talks Boston, where MedTech Innovator will be a, a significant part. But before we get into to all of that, hoo-ha, uh, you didn't get any sleep last night, you said, prior to my pushing record. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck, man? Yeah, Can't come on. You brought that up. Come on, you guys. <laughs> um, that was just us talking in the booth. So, uh, yes, uh, you know, look, I mean, the reality is MedTech Innovator um, even though you know we talk a lot about being the world's largest accelerator for medical technology, which we are, um, we're a startup. You know, we're a team of ten people. Uh, you know, at my team, um, and uh, and that's being generous, by the way. And uh, you know, and then an extended family of five or six hundred people helping to review applications and judge for us and, and mentor companies. But my team is pretty pretty small, and we gotta we gotta beef that up because um, you know we are. We are literally, you know, as they say, drinking from the fire hose. Um, you know, over a thousand companies applied to wow. uh, to these events wow. that we have coming up, um, and uh, I read every single application. And the, what you're That's referring awesome. to is we have a pitch event coming up in Washington, D.C. on March 23rd, and it's invite only. So don't everybody go rushing to uh, sign up for it. But um, but it's we, we have 30 companies that we have to pick for that event. And there were 283 companies who said, I want to pitch in Washington um, out of all of our applicants. And I have to read every single one of those. Um, and luckily, 
I've, I'm not exaggerating when I say there's like four or 500 other people who've also read those applications and given us their reviews, but then I have to go through and figure out which of, you know, who am I pleasing? Who am I going to, you know, I got to make sure I got enough companies there for each of our corporate partners, you know, for, for Nipro or for Olympus or for J and J and, uh, you know, Beck and Dickinson and so on. I got to make sure they all have somebody to see and meet with and not just one or two, they, they got to all have a balance. So, we built a whole infrastructure to balance all that out, but I got to read every single application to do that. And uh, so it was a, it was an all nighter for me, but all the, in, all the invites are out. I'd say that's an outstanding thing for people to know though. Like if you don't make the MedTech innovator cut, I mean, Paul looked at the application. I mean, that's, that's, that's outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. And I make notes on the ones that we go, boy, they're just a little bit too early. Like, you know, we'll have, and sometimes we'll have like three or four of our partners will go really interested in this. This looks transformative you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'll look down and I'll go, the company's raised, you know, no money. And, you know, they like, you know, we have runway through Q1 2022. And I go, you know, I, it's just too early, you know, or there, or there's, you know, they're still barely at the prototype stage. They have no data, no evidence. And we go, you know what, it's just guys reapply next year. Um, so we do, we do tell people to do that. It's not just a, you know, you, you get a no from us. Um, so, you know, we try to give people feedback too. That's great. No, oh, well, it's uh, I I worked till uh, about eight thirty on Tuesday night, and I was feeling pretty badass. But now I I I, <laughs> I have to up my game, though. I'm not doing an all nighter. I'm done with that. No more red eyes. No more all nighters. I'm I'm past that stage. I thought I was past that I'm, stage too, and uh, here <laughs> I am. I'm not exaggerating. I do at least uh, an all nighter um, every month, at least one. Um, somewhere there's some major thing. And it's not just that I'm a procrastinator. It's that, as I said, we are just overwhelmed with great companies and and stressing out over not wanting to leave great ones on the cutting room floor. Like we want to make sure that, you know, I look through everything and go, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to go, we pass on this great company. So, uh, you know, it's super exciting. And boy, you guys are going to be so excited. I mean, we'll talk more about device talks and what's coming up, but um, we got some great companies for you in the uh, in the pipeline this year. Awesome. Um, and we got some really passionate, excited people. I actually got a, my first referral from device talks where um, you guys, uh, not you, Jim, interviewed somebody and then contacted me and said, oh, these guys are look really interesting. I, you know, he introduced me to the company, the company applied that day and they were like, we'll be in LA tomorrow if you want. Wow. Um, so we got some enthusiastic wow. entrepreneurs. Thanks to Device Talks. Wow. So thank this you. is awesome. This is Jim Hammerand, managing editor of uh, Metal Design and Outsourcing. That's, that's the man. That's the one. And that, All right. that feature story will be posting in coming days on, uh, on MDO. So keep an eye well, out for not, it. Let's not spoil it then. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk a bit more about Device Talks Boston in a moment and MedTech Innovators' role in that. But tell uh, everyone push play because they want to hear what uh, new markers newsmakers are. So let's, uh, let's begin right. to roll the, into those five big news stories of the week, Chris Newmarker. The new markers newsmakers. Well, number five on the list um, is Ukraine, uh, which, you know, just uh, this. The, uh, the you know the the Russian invasion of, of the country just continues to slog on. Um, our senior editor Daniel Kirsch has a uh, we've now created on MDO a a really good just roundup of what all the different medtech and pharma companies are uh, are doing uh, in response to the to the invasion. We'll continue to update that. Uh, the uh, title of the article is "How Medtech and Pharma Respond to Russia's Invasion of Ukraine." So check it out on MDO. Um, you know, I mean, millions of dollars, all kinds of medical equipment going over there, a lot going on. You know, it's it's interesting. I mean, one debate that's starting to, to crop up, and you were just mentioning this to me, Tom, because you're reading a P article about it, is um, 
you know, should, you know, the, the question of should medtech and pharma be uh, withholding um, yeah. products to, to Russia, which, uh, I mean, it's one thing if you can't get a Big Mac in, in Russia because you've got a, you got a, you know, a dictator running your country is invading people, but it's, you know, it's, I'd say another thing if you can't get a get a pacemaker uh, needed chemo drugs. Um, yeah, I don't know if this has ever been seriously considered at any of the companies, but the the medtech or the pharma companies. But this clearly just, I think, in my mind, points out that this is the first true conflict between economies of somewhat similar size, or at least. A, a, a war with an a, a comp- with a country that has an economy that's drawing from the U.S. medtech industry. I mean, we're looking, we're sure. comparing this invasion to World War II. Back in World War II, there was obviously no medtech industry, and everyone, every country basically had their own industry or not, and got their supplies from in- internally. This is really shining a stark light on how far you take sanctions and and sort of boycotts. And as you said, it's it's one thing not to be able to get your Big Mac. It's another not being able to get your uh, glucose monitor device, your 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 insulin or your chemotherapy drugs. I mean, that's that's going down a, a path that I'm not yeah. sure where we're ready to go yeah, down. I think, but, and we are seeing a lot of companies definitely offering, you know, aid around this this terrible humanitarian crisis going on. But you know, we have seen a few companies say they're they're stopping to sell stuff to Russia, but it's generally related to uh, you know, more like elective procedures, which I mean that can make mm-hmm. make more sense. Okay. So, all, right, all right, you know, you're in Russia, you can't get a super duper knee surgery now because uh, you know, because uh because of the kind of government you you have right now. Um, but um that would seem to be the line I would draw, Paul. I'm not sure if you've given any thought or had any conversations uh, around, if not this topic specifically, just what's going on with uh, with the Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with one of our CEOs um, in the MedTech Innovator portfolio the other day, and she's Russian and was telling me a lot about her thoughts on the conflict and having family in Ukraine and um, and then also just what it was like to grow up in a free Russia versus what it is today and um, and how all that happened and what might be likely to happen. And I think, you know, what our conversation was really trying to get to is what's the impact on our industry and how can our industry help and what should our industry be doing? Um, and I think it's, I think ultimately it is a lot of what you guys were already saying, right? I think it's that, um, everybody should be taking a stance to say like, this is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because if we, there's, there's that quote, someone said, um, uh, I can't even remember who it was, but there's a quote where someone said, like, if you're, you don't speak up in the face of a bully, then you're on the side of the oppressor. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think everybody should be speaking up and, you know, and letting everyone know that you're, you're not on the side of the oppressor, that you don't, you don't condone what's happening. Um, and then it's a question, as you said, of, what do you do about it? And is it, is it, you know, is it aid um, or can you take the extreme of cutting things off? And in the case of, you know, life-saving medical therapies, I don't know how you deprive, you know, human beings as a humanitarian, you know, of life-saving medical therapies, you can't turn off that pacemaker Mm -hmm. um, suddenly. But as you said, if it's something that's more elective, it's something that you say, Hey, this is optional. Um, yeah. you know, you, you lose that right now. Um, or, you know, we're certainly cutting off supply where you can, um, you know, using them as suppliers, but the world is so flat these days. And I think that's what we that's all have point. to appreciate, yep. right. Is that it's not their problem. It's our problem for sure. Um, it's not like, oh, that's just Ukraine. That's a far away place. And, you know, whatever they they'll, they'll figure that out. That is not the case. You know, what's happening there is affecting us. I have, I literally have 
people in my portfolio who told me this week that their programming teams are like literally in Ukraine fleeing, Gosh. like heading with their families to a train station and stopping to take investor phone oh, calls wow. along the way. Um, talk about commitment uh, and uh, and like literally going like, they're like, we're fine. We're totally fine. And in fact, that seems to be, that's the one last thing I'll comment on this is that the attitude that I've heard now from several people who have family in Ukraine is that everything is going to be fine um, and that they're strong and they're fine and um, don't worry about us um, kind of things, which um, from our side looking in, I, I don't even understand that. Yeah. But, um, but that seems to be a very strong, united, you know, group of people, um, you know, 40 million people in Ukraine who um, uh, feel very confident that they're going to win. Um, and we have to kind of think about that, you know, in terms of how they're acting and what they're doing. And yeah. anyways, um, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm crazy concerned about it. And, um, you know, I, I, anything we can do as an industry to help, yeah. I think we should be doing. I mean, definitely the, the bravery and tenacity of the Ukrainian people is, I mean, it's inspiring and it's obviously inspired, you know, the free world and companies in the free world to, to stand up. Uh, but I do think people should be commenting about it. I think people should be saying this is not OK and we're not standing for this and we're, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to, uh, you know, to help. And and I think that's ultimately, you know, people want to, I think everybody just wants to hear some kind of public comment um, that, you know, people shouldn't be silent is yeah. I think, the point. Um, because that silence is, uh, is, is, as I said, that silence is acceptance and none of us should be accepting yeah. of this. Yeah, we, and we've seen some, uh, some comments. Uh, I know Jeff Martha Medtronic issued one and in, within his statement stated that, you know, we have to remember that our Russian coworkers, uh, you know, also deserve our attention and, and we need to understand where they're coming from. So there's a lot of complexity to this. Um, and you're right, Paul, the flat earth is exactly what I was trying to say. It's just such a different world than it was 50, 60, 80 years ago. Uh, and it's really fascinating to see a tragic uh, attack like this, how it plays out on a, on a global yeah. sense and how it impacts everything. So, I mean, I guess the answer would be continue to provide the care and the supplies. And maybe the, the revenue made from that is diverted to support the Ukrainians and help save them now and rebuild them in the future. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we're going to continue to turn the knobs until we find a, find the right solution. And one last thing I'll point out, be sensitive to the fact that all of us probably know somebody who's Russian or Ukrainian um, who may be employees of ours or friends of ours. Um, and uh, their families are now targets yep. in the same way that people were attacking, you know, Chinese people and saying the virus got, you know, you caused the virus. Um, the Russian population and the Ukrainian po the Russian population in particular mm -hmm. uh, here in the U.S., um, you know, kids are getting bullied. People are getting threats. Yep. Um, you know, the Russians are suddenly, you know, are the bad guys again. And, um, you know, it's a it's a huge Russian population here. And and as I said, there there are employees, there are friends. And we have to figure that they're, uh, you know, that they're going through a lot right now. Absolutely. So you got to separate point. what their gov the government of Russia is doing, you know, versus the Russian people. I mean, those are two very different things. Yeah. Yeah. But they're hard for little kids to figure out. Yeah. You, know, you know, you got little kids and, uh, you know, it's like cowboys and Indians again, all of a sudden, yep. bad guys and good guys. And they're like, oh, these Russians, you know, you guys are terrible. Um, yeah. So anyways, it's just, um, you know, there's so many levels to be, you know, thinking yeah. about here. I had, I had that, uh, that kind of conversation with my 12 year old son this morning, just about the, I just asked him, I'm like, how do you feel about everything? He's like, I'm a little scared. I'm like, ah, 
Like, I know what that feels like. Let me tell you. So, uh, so yeah, talk to your kids, everybody. Well, on we, on we go from, from that. Right. So like, yeah. number, all right. So number four on the list, we've, uh, you know, this was actually interesting and got a, a really good amount of hits on, uh, on mass device. Um, it's a, uh, incubator called, uh, big sky by medical. And they just, uh, you know, recruited in uh, Dr. Ryan Eglin, which I mean, you've you've spoken with him in the, in the past, Tom. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Eglin was a uh, was the chief medical officer at uh, Cardiovascular Systems, you know, here in the Twin Cities, yep. and uh, used to be a Medtronic Road Scholar. I mean, just you know, really an impressive uh, recruit into this uh, into this incubator. So. So good news for them. Brian's a super nice guy. I worked with him. He was at Medtronic at the time when I was working on another conference and another, I had him on my previous podcast and, uh, he was uh, a big help in sort of helping to put that that program together. So this is uh, this is interesting that it got uh, so many hits. I mean, I guess people uh, people like incubators, Paul Grant. That uh, that's kind yeah. of people like incubators. <laughs> hey, look, Brian, look, I you know I, I was just looking back and Ryan uh, weighed in back in December of 2016 on a survey we were doing at the time of the industry when he was at Medtronic, and we were saying, "Hey guys, you know what what things are important to you." Uh, and Ryan gave us uh, his input on uh, what what he saw at Medtronic as being important for uh, the themes we should be targeting at MedTech Innovator. So I appreciate that. Thanks, Ryan, for that. And I'm glad he's glad he's got uh, uh, an incubator that he's part of because incubators are are really you know the great feeders to MedTech Innovator. So thank you um, because you know we 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 basically reach out to I'm not exaggerating like a thousand incubators uh, and accelerators around the world and say, send us your best companies, um, you know, because we can put them on the big stage at places like device talks. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to spoil, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's what we, uh, you know, I mean, that's what we do. So we can give them, you know, we could give these companies national attention and um, I applaud big sky on making that higher. That's uh, that's really good because what these entities need are experts. Exactly. Um, they really do. And a lot of them have, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, a lot of the local incubators do not have experts. They have people who understand how to run an acceleration program or an incubation program, but they're generic um, and they don't know anything about medical products. So I'm glad to see Big Sky does. Yeah. I mean, you look at uh, like some of the names associated with the uh, incubator and they, they got they got some names of people we know. So that's a, that's a good thing. Well, I've already reached out to Ryan, so hopefully we'll have him uh, on the podcast someday. And, and uh, ideally, he'll be involved with Device Talks Minnesota, which is happening on June 6th and 7th in Minnesota. Sounds like a plan. Speaking of conferences, Paul Grant, you and I are working on Device Talks Boston together. Uh, you are, for, for those who don't know, our uh, Device Talks meetings are broken up into multiple tracks, all covering different aspects of medical device development. First being innovation and investment. And MedTech Innovator is going to be a big part of our innovation and investment track in, in Boston. Uh, Paul, you uh, have a great plan for, uh, for how many startups are you going to be bringing uh, into Boston uh, on May 10th? We will be bringing 30 Woo-hoo! world-class startups. All right. They'll be presenting May 10th and 11th, correct? Correct. Yeah, we'll, we'll try That's to correct. break them up over the two days in some capacity. But uh, so you're here specifically. Number one, because you're super charming. Number two, because you're you're willing to do this. Number three, because you're smart and informative of the medtech industry. But primarily, the reason you're here is you have yet another deadline coming up for Device Talks Boston, correct? I do, yes. So um, as you just said, Tom, we are going to be featuring 30 companies at Device Talks. That means 
30 companies you guys get to present to that unbelievable audience that they've assembled 500 or so whatever number of people who will be there um, to uh, to partner with to, to meet with to maybe to invest in you and so on so um, we've got an opportunity for 30 startups to present at the device talks conference and at the same time to be in the running for medtech innovators accelerator um, and specifically the companies we're looking for for this opportunity are only companies that are what we call mid-stage companies. These are the companies that have raised generally a Series B, maybe a Series C already. Um, a lot of them are already in the market in some way. They're certainly clinical. Um, we have some companies that you know have raised a forty million dollars Series A. Okay, fine. Um, they'll be they'll be acceptable. Um, you know if they're you know and again not that that dollar amount means anything. I'm just saying if they've raised a lot, you know we'll, mm-hmm. we'll certainly consider them. The point is we're looking for more mature companies for this particular opportunity, and you have until March 31st to apply at medtechinnovator.org slash apply. That's great. And and the application uh, is it's all online. Does it require any of the materials or is it all just something someone can fill out wherever they are? So uh, we request a pneumatic tube be <laughs> and launched. No, uh, all online, Tom. Yes, all online. <laughs> you send them back a sucker and after they send that through to you. Like, yeah, that's yes. great. It's nice. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Cool. Yeah, you put your palm on it. It's that. that um, I will rephrase the question, Your Honor. Do yes, they, do they, do, all online. Do you need any uh, supporting materials? Is it something someone can yes. do in a plane? Uh, what, what? Yes, they um, they do have to add supporting materials minimally on top of our admittedly robust application. Um, we do ask a lot of questions. Um, we ask for yeah. a deck, mm-hmm. you know, a non confidential PowerPoint, uh, PDF, whatever you want to attach. But we got to have that. Some people attach videos and letters of support and all sorts of things. We'll read all of it. Um, as I mentioned, I was up all night. Um, <laughs> and we'll be again. But the point is, um, uh, we we do need that. What we're looking for is that we want to see some evidence. We want to see that you've got something interesting and that it's going to work. Um, you know, you've got some evidence that it's going to work. It could be animal data, lab, you know, bench data, it could be cadaver data, it could be human data. And I think for the companies that are going to be presenting at device talks, it will be some human data. Um, so, you know, it's not enough. And by the way, we sit around at this event with 70 judges. So we will have 70 of our corporate partners, investors, clinicians, and others at that event at device talks, partnering with, meeting with all these companies And they will expect you to sit down and not just show a slide that says diabetes is a problem and we've built a device to solve that um, and where it's an implantable and blah, blah, blah. That's not enough. Like we want you to say, and we've done a clinic and they go, oh, and we've done two clinical studies. Okay. And how are they? Uh, You know, you'd be surprised how many people don't tell you how the clinical studies went. They go, we've done two human trials. All right. How have they gone? Um, you know, what can you tell us? Obviously, if you're in the middle of a randomized controls trial that you can't unblind, that's one thing. But I'm just saying, if you have some evidence, mm-hmm. we want to know that there's some proof. Investors and others want to know there's a little bit of evidence that this is going to work. So anyways, that's that's what we need. Sounds good. And what's the date again, Paul? What's the deadline? That would be March 31st, Chris Newmarker. March 31st. All right. March 31st at midnight, because we will get those emails from people saying, <laughs> what time on March 31st? March 31st at midnight Pacific time. 
to be very specific, um, as long as you get your application in there, basically before the beginning of April. Um, we'd like to have your application so that we have time to pick the companies and invite them uh, to fly to Boston because most of them won't be from Boston. So if you're in Boston and it's 2.30 a.m. on April 1st, you still have... 30 minutes to You're get it in. You're confusing the people, Chris Newmarker. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, you got to get in by midnight, people. Just you got to get in by, by midnight. midnight and... Give Paul Grant a chance to sleep, people. <laughs> That's right. And as they said, right, Paul needs to sleep. Exactly. Get the applications. And as they said in my old drum and bugle court days, like to be early is to be on time, be on time is to be late, to be late is to be left. So get those get those applications into Paul here. Do not get left, folks. I think it's just great that that those who submit, you're, you're already getting out there your 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 application is out there and getting reviewed by not just paul grant in the middle of the night pumping down some coffee and some red bull but uh yeah. your your network of advisors and experts as well are taking a look at these things so it's very yeah. wide exposure oh we've had major companies um who i cannot necessarily name here on the podcast major companies who you guys know very well and you've had on the podcast who have gotten funding from strategics because they read their application on MedTech Innovator. Um, and they in and, and the, and the first year, we didn't even invite them to pitch. Like they just read the application. They're like, huh, I'd never heard of those guys. Um, we should get, you know, our BD team should get you know, in touch with those guys. All of our corporate partners are using MedTech Innovator as a sourcing vehicle. And from J&J on down, they will tell you that, um, you know, it's it's their internal team and MedTech Innovator that they use for sourcing. Um, and uh, and that's most of the major MedTech companies. And so, yes, just applying gets you on the radar of people who need to know about you. Very cool. Really excited to be working with you on Device Talks Bus. We'll talk a little bit later about the the, the pitch competition that will be going on during the event. But uh, Chris Newmarker, I'm dying to know what number two on the Newmarker's Newsmakers list. Oh, no. We're number three? We're at number I'm three. I'm dying yeah. to know what number three is. I'm also dying to know uh, what number two is. But what's number, well, number three? Let's start with number three. Well, number three, our uh, associate editor, Sean Hooley, uh, produced a story on Mass Device called uh, These 10 MedTech Company Stocks Performed Best in 2021. He took he uh, looked at the uh, stocks of all of our big 100 companies that are included in our MedTech 100 index. Uh, and he uh, you know looked at their stock performance. Performance last year have a have a list of companies that you know performed especially well uh, last year with their with their stock prices. Uh, any guesses who made the list? Yeah, Paul Greg, can you name all ten and how large their increase was? Can you go ready? By the way, I I, yeah. Wait, we don't. We want them to read the article. article. I don't want to spoil the article, so I'm not going to spoil the article. But I will say this: number one and number two on the list. Our MedTech Innovator corporate partners. I'm not saying that's a direct correlation. What? <laughs> number one and number two. Coincidence, perhaps. Number, it could be a coincidence. <laughs> it may not be a correlation, but I will tell you number one and number two on the list of the top companies are MedTech Innovator corporate partners. And um, that's all I'm saying. And I will tell you number, like number seven and number maybe four. Are, will be represented at Device Talks Minnesota. So, you know, I would say like a lot of these companies that their stock performed especially well. I mean, one theme I thought I saw here was innovation. I mean, these are companies that are really you know pushing the boundaries in their spaces. And so, yeah, innovations innovations good for business. I mean, like j- just to name one, Dexcom. I mean, they're they've got their you know G seven that's coming out this year. Um, you know, just this really nice tiny you know continuous glucose monitor. I mean, their stock was up you know forty five percent last year. So, I mean, just you know, just, just amazing. So, you know, those are the type of companies that really made this list. Yeah. Dexcom. 
Dexcom corporate partner for MedTech Innovator, folks. There you go. <laughs> I, uh, regarding Dexcom, I can't remember a more exciting year for uh, for glucose monitor and for diabetic products. It's really been something to watch. So uh, great stuff. This year, it's really taking off. There's so many products, and you know, and uh, and and you know, Sean, who you know, uh, takes a lead on uh, you know, posting stories for our drug delivery business news. He's really been you know, just covering the heck out of the space. It's uh, it's it's really cool to see. Dexcom, Dexcom also, by the way started their venture fund. Um, so they have a dedicated venture fund as well, and they're looking for new technology folks. So Dexcom Ventures, just saying, they're out there for sure. Look at that. That's a nice little tidbit for folks in nice. this space. So, all right. Good, good stuff, Paul. So number two on the list, uh, we've got uh, Mimic Innovative Surgeries. A uh, SPAC deal is off. I mean, when they announced this deal uh, last year, it's going to create a company worth more than $1 billion. But uh, it's uh, the deal is now off. Mutual decision between them and the uh, special purpose acquisition company. And, uh, you know, they cited marketing conditions and associate associated volatility due to recent world events, you know, which uh, I think we know what that is. Um, no, this, this is... Starting to turn into a trend. I mean, usually my rule is you got to have three to make it a trend. But and we've had this. We had Heartflow last night, last uh, month. I mean, uh, calling off their spec deal. Um, I think we're going to see more of these. Oh, I, I are you asking me? Uh, I'll, I'll, jo- I'll join in. Yeah, I, I think sure. um, I think we will see more of these. Yes, um, there's definitely uh, you know look and, and just yeah. in general, not just not just spec deals being called off. I think uh, public offerings are uh, are going to be uh, are things that you know in a, in a volatile stock market, people don't like going public. So um, spec or otherwise, um, yeah, I think I think these things are going to be uh, we're going to be seeing more. Yeah, I mean, it's been neat to see all these uh, younger companies go public in the last year or two through this mechanism. But yeah, at least for now, until uh, until the world hopefully settles down a bit, uh, we might be uh, seeing less of these announced and you know seeing some of the deals that we wrote about getting uh, getting called off. So we'll we'll see what's next. It'll be interesting to see at uh, Device Talks Boston. We'll have John Norris of Silicon Valley Bank. John is uh, is the uh, definitive source on fundraising uh, data. He uh, issues a report. Uh, I think every half, right? He's now doing halves, but uh, it's been such a amazing couple of years for medtech financings. Uh, we'll see if uh, he'll have some information about the first quarter and, and the slowdown. So uh, we'll talk with uh, talk with John at uh, Device Talks Boston. He'll be there on May 11th, and, and Paul and Chris, I think we all join him up on stage and maybe have a little bit of a roundtable conversation. Sounds great. See where uh, see see where things are going. John's John is my go-to source for uh, for funding data. Uh, that that is that is for sure. I thank him and his team for the great work they do. All right, Chris Newmarker, what is number one? This is actually kind of a this is kind of a, a new. Uh, we don't have a lot of these on the Newmarker. Yeah, no, and this was this is a surprise to me too. But you know, it's a it's a space we don't cover as much. But you know, Alcon launched their Clarion intraocular lens in the United States, and this is beginning a. T- ton of hits on mass device, which I, I, I think this indicates that this is like a significant, um, you know, this, this, this matters, um, you know, what they're doing here. Um, and, you know, this, uh, you know, this uh, lens, uh, you know, they're saying this has like the lowest uh, levels of haze and subsurface and nano glistenings uh, compared to their, you know, competitors, you know, and this is you know, offering, you know, sharper, crisper vision. So it looks like there's, this is a, uh, 
you know, this is an advance in this uh, in this space of you know interocular uh, lenses for you know people who who need new ones, you know, to improve their vision. So, um, so yeah, good. Uh, it looks like good news from Alcon, and like our readers are very interested in it. I mean, do you have any insights on this, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you this. Um, first of all, vision care in general is definitely hot. There's um, a lot of startups out there, so we, you know we have kind of a unique lens when you get thousands of people. Oh, I use the word lens. Year. There you go. Um, <laughs> And what's coming? <laughs> Thank you, folks. Thank you for noticing that, Chris. Um, so, uh, uh, see what I did there. So, uh, yes, we have that unique lens, and uh, and we we have uh, we see a lot of companies in the vision space. And I have a company pitching in DC on March twenty third uh, that has a has a competitor awesome. to this product. So, um, you know, there's there's definitely uh, a lot of interest and a lot of innovation in this space. And uh, and I guess that's why it's number one on the uh, the device talks weekly crisp new markers newsmakers and definitely you know our our analytics you know looking at like what our what our uh, you know readers are you know clicking on and checking out that informs our our coverage decisions so this this is obviously a space we'll be uh, we'll be looking at more because um, it's as you said it's hot you know people are interested in what's going on and you know it looks like there's some cool advances going on yeah, look at I me. Mean, quality of life is everything, right? And and vision is a big part of the quality of life yeah. that we all have. Um, and all these technologies for you know better, uh, you know, for better vision, for not having to wear contact lenses, for accommodating IOLs, for um, for you know for eliminating uh, cataracts. You name it. Like there's just so many things out there that that increase quality of life because uh, you know I don't know about you, but I want to see. Um, yeah, I want to see clearly. So as someone who has to keep reading glasses around the house, that sounds like a plan to me. It sounds yeah. good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And the, the drug industry hasn't put us out of business yet. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's all those companies working on eye drops to try and do uh, similar things. But um, I think these devices are here to stay. Well, there was cool news in the space just the other week, like J&J announcing a lens that uh, like exuded antihistamine, you know, to help, uh, you know, relieve, you know, allergy problems with uh, with contact lenses. So, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot you can do on that uh, on that platform, you know, and the eyes are like the window into the brain and into the bloodstream and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, you can diagnose all sorts of things to the eye. You can you can and it's a really cool platform. So I remember there was a lot of stuff a few years ago about smart contact lenses and then that kind of just. I, I don't know. Is that going to come back? Are we going to? They're still, still out there. there. Yeah. They're, they're, they're still out there. They're still developing. They're still getting funded. There's a whole bunch of companies, but but the big ones, the, you know, the Google and all those some of the projects, you know, that we we've, we've read about some of those yeah. are not um, not taking off as fast as uh, I think some people thought they would. Um, but you know, they'll be there eventually. Uh, you know, they'll definitely be there. It'd be better than wearing those uh, that huge headset I have to wear with my Oculus. I you know, not that I. I, not that I mind it, but boy, I'd rather just, you know, be able to just have some contact lenses that uh, let me see the whole metaverse without, uh, you know, walking around with the gigantic thing on my head. So so before we get into uh, this week's interview, Paul, I, I mentioned it earlier on, we'll have the pitch contest at Device Talks Boston. Uh, this is an opportunity for actually the audience to... Uh, to make those decisions to serve as your as your advisory board, I guess. How does that all work? Uh, who who gets to pitch on stage in the contest, and how are how are the winners picked? All right. So as I mentioned, there's 30 companies that will be invited to present at Device Talks, um, and also to meet with all of our corporate partners and investors and clinicians and uh, regulatory professionals and others. Um, reimbursement, market access experts, all sorts of people, um, and they will choose five companies to get up on the stage at Device Talks 
on the second day, on the 11th. Uh, and those companies will each get to present, and then the Device Talks audience will pick the winner. So, uh, you know, in real time on your cell phone, you will vote for Exciting. the winner and uh, choose who gets a prize. We haven't yet announced what that prize is, but I will just tease that it's going to be a good one. Uh, and uh, and so uh, that company will get, you know, both the kudos of being able to say, hey, the Device Talks industry audience chose me as the most compelling mid-stage company, um, which is uh, which is pretty cool because, as I said, there could be 30 amazing companies that we will have in the running. So all five that will be on stage will be terrific, as I'm sure will all 30. But, you know, only one of them is going to get to win. And, uh, you know, they'll be able to get some pretty good bragging rights and a prize, which we will announce in the coming weeks. So uh, as we get a little closer to this, but it's going to be a good one, folks. And there's something that makes me happier, by the way, when I see... Um, one of our companies the other day, um, Epitel, got an investment from um, Dexcom Ventures, amongst other people. And uh, they have a seizure diary technology, um, like a little sensor you put on your head and it records your seizures. And they sent out a press release and and, uh, and a, a blog post. And in the blog post, there's a big picture of their logo. And on the table was their MedTech Innovator Trophy um, in the picture. That's and I was, awesome. I was flattered they chose to do that, but um, but those those are not participation trophies, folks. These are um, hard-won awards. Um, these companies were chosen out of thousands, and uh, it's a big deal to be picked. So um, a lot of credit cool. comes along with being a MedTech Innovator graduate. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our second season of Medtronic Talks. In our first season, we spoke with the leaders of Medtronic's operating units to better understand the direction of each of the businesses. Now, with their courses set and clear, we're going to talk to the engineers, scientists, physicians, and other experts who are executing on these strategies. We'll still keep a tight focus on each of Medtronic's businesses, but we are going to get a lot deeper into these stories. Let's go. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. Yes, as I said at the top, this is season two. This is episode one of season two. Happy to connect with Sally Saba. Sally is the Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer at Medtronic. She joined two years ago, March 2020, which of course was uh, an appropriate time to uh, to be joining the company. Uh, as Sally will explain, uh, Medtronic had some efforts underway, but certainly the issues of equity, inclusion, and diversity became even more poignant with the killing of George Floyd. So we will talk about that. We'll talk about Sally's own history. We'll talk about what it feels like not to be included. And uh, also, uh, we'll review some uh, concrete steps that Medtronic has taken and some results that it's seeing. So it's great to have Sally Saba on the program. It's great to kick off season two of Medtronic Talks. As I said at the top, we will be talking with the professionals who are making Medtronic go. They're the ones working with patients, working with technologies, really executing on the plans that we talked about last year. So again, this is a great opener for season two, really sets the stage on Medtronic's culture and uh, really, really happy to have you back listening to the Medtronic Talks podcast. Well, Sally Saba, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tom. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. 
I'm excited about this conversation. I've been following your story since you joined Medtronic. I know we talked to you last year for a profile in our medical design and outsourcing magazine. So it's great to be able to talk to you directly. Okay, so we normally begin these conversations, well, at the beginning, we'd like to find out about the, the guest background. But for, for the sake of this conversation, I'd like our listeners to understand your responsibilities at Medtronic. Can you, can you tell us about your position? What is it you do and, and how do you interact with others at the company? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. I am the Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer for Medtronic, and I joined in March of 2020. My role and responsibility includes strategy, design, and build to execute on a business strategy for advancing Medtronic's progress on issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, within our organization and outside of it. And that includes building in accountability and governance models. It includes inspiring change within our organization and outside. And it includes advancing our own education and understanding of what all this work entails and what it takes to get there. Excellent. And, and I know you, you compile a report that I imagine brings a level of accountability and of, of measure, and we'll get into your report a little later in the podcast. But you mentioned the timing. Uh, it was March 2020. Of course, two months later, there was a killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, and, and that really set a movement in the medtech industry, but other industries as well, to really have other companies look inward like Medtronic had been doing. How has your role there, or has your role there, changed at all from that time on? Did that accelerate what you were trying to do? Did it change course at all? How did things change after, after that event? Absolutely. It definitely changed for any chief diversity officer sure. in corporate America. The cool thing for me was I joined a company who had already been on this journey for a really long time and had a very, very strong foundation in its inclusion and diversity work. When I joined, this movement happened that was to the, the word you mentioned is accelerate. It was an accelerator mm -hmm. of how we then move from where we had been to leap forward to a completely new level. It was easier to add the context that we now have, which is equity, to the journey that, you know, Medtronic had been on for a while. So it was an accelerator for sure. It put a spotlight on this work on a global scale like no time in history before. And I think it emphasized for companies this new paradigm that companies live in right now, which is it's no longer enough for an organization to make profit and exist to perform for shareholders, but it's a refinement of the concept that companies live and breathe in a context that is political, social, and economic. And that matters now to how companies interact with and uphold value for and by their stakeholders, not just their shareholders. No, it certainly is. I think companies and, and content creators like myself, I think we all looked at what we were doing and whether we were representing the world well enough. So I, I imagine to your point, it made us all more receptive toward conversations like the ones you wanted to have. I'd like to kind of now go back if we could and just kind of follow your path to this place. It's certainly, as you mentioned, many companies have a position like yours and it's perhaps developed into a, a track, a career track for young people who want to move into this field. I'm sure it has. 
but it hasn't always been the case. So I'd be curious as to how you found your way here. Uh, let's let's go back to first. How did you find your way into the med tech industry? Because you're you're a physician to begin with, correct? Absolutely. Yes, I am. And uh, it's really interesting because I would have never thought 30 years ago that this is where I'd be. I never designed that I would be here. It's a stumbling of sorts through career opportunities. So, yes, I was I was born in Cairo, Egypt, and I went to medical school there. I left medical school to change the system of medicine in my humble little youth <laughs> where I thought I could, you know, change the world in some sorts. So I've always had an affiliation for uh, healing, for what medicine is all about and what the healthcare industry is all about from when I was a child, really, Tom. I had a, a personal story, if, I, if it's okay for me to share. Absolutely. I was born in Egypt to a, a family that didn't value female and males equally. And so when I was born a female, I was actually left behind by my family because I didn't come out a boy. And I think that shaped in me over time an understanding, a deeper understanding of how the sense of lack of belonging or feeling like you are valued for who you intrinsically are really matters to human beings. So I carried that with me throughout my career. I did go to medical school and then I left medicine and went into business for many years. And then as I, you know, moved to the United States in 2003, I re-engaged in the medical field again. And I really seriously stumbled into this work because I, I joined a, a, a large organization, Kaiser Permanente, at the time. And I was on the business side. I was in recall and, and stuff like that. And then they had a program, supplier diversity. They needed to uplift that a little bit and do something with it. And that was my first step into the diversity space. What I learned on that journey just lit up a fire in me around the need for why this work matters mm -hmm. and how companies can really have an impact in the lives of people from a personal health perspective and from a corporate responsibility and understanding of the implications of this perspective. I'd love to just drill down into that moment where you sort of realize you're doing the work that you were meant to be doing. And I'm putting your words in your mouth a bit, but I hope it captures it a bit. It seems as if the story you tell as, as a child, as terrible as it is, I imagine that leaves an imprint on you where you're, I find that the people who are left out are often the most interested in ensuring that other people aren't left out. At least I hope that's the case if they're kind people. Do you feel that that's the case, that your childhood experience left this imprint in you, that you want to commit your life to bringing everyone as much as possible in? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Often people, when they ask me, What's your interpretation of this work? I simplify it into it's kind of healing the consciousness of corporations, of companies. Employees, the more you understand uh, what drives an employee, the more you understand that their perceived value of how the organization and their colleagues value them, respect them, treat them with fairness, uh, see them, allow their voice to be heard, is the most critical driver of our health and our human behavior and our innovation within within companies. Inclusion is a is a is a topic that's 
really, really complex because the Petri dish in which you create the opportunity for people to thrive because you've created a space that is safe, that they feel valued, that they feel that they are contributing to their fullest extent and not wasting any of their energy, Tom, on covering up or on trying to assimilate or on hiding the things that they don't think are acceptable within the corporate environment. I like to explain that a little bit further to people in terms of, you know, maybe I can ask you this question. Can you think of a time when you were excluded in your life? Certainly in school, there are moments where you feel left out. And I think every time I go into a new setting, be it was high school or college, I automatically felt I wasn't excluded because I wasn't included. I felt like the fact that others knew each other or moved more easily through the world and could engage people more easily and I couldn't, you almost felt like you were actively being left behind. So there are certainly times where I felt excluded, whether I was actually told to leave or not be part of this. Fortunately, I don't have memories of that, but I certainly have memories of feeling quite alone and feeling like others weren't alone. Yes. And so if you remember that point in your life, could you give me three words that explain what emotions were elicited in you? I think you're frustrated with yourself because you, you want to be included and you want to be like the others who are moving through life more easily. Uh-huh. Uh, you're certainly scared that you're not going to find a way in, even though you usually do. You're certainly uncertain whether that's going to happen. Scared and frustrated are good ones, but I think eh, you're lonely. I mean, you're isolated. You're not making that connection that I think humans need. It can be very crippling and, and it can keep you from doing good work or doing good schoolwork or living a healthy life. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for sharing that because sure. I know that required a little uh, more vulnerability on your side. So thank you for engaging in that. The words that you shared, Tom, are very powerful ones. Frustration, uh, fear, being scared and loneliness. And I would, I would ask you and everybody watching to ask themselves, what if your constant ongoing state of living and being were in chronic experience of those emotions? Research, I see the, you know, the look on your, yeah. Research has actually proven that those type of emotions of exclusion create long-term health implications on people. With stress, anxiety, being overweight, diabetes, and, and, and the list goes on. The question I would ask you then is, do you think you would do, if you are an employee of a company and you are feeling those emotions, would your best thinking come through? I wouldn't think so, no. I think you'd have a, a lack of trust in yourself. I think you'd have a lack of trust in, in your colleagues to sort of, if you had an idea, you didn't want to throw it out there as good as it might be because you didn't want to be judged and even make the rift between you and others wider. I don't see an upside <laughs> to feeling that way at all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of brings us back to this notion of if we can create environments where people are not feeling those emotions constantly, where people of color and, and under, you know, sexism, racism, any other ism that is in a workplace or in our communities, we dismantle those things and mm -hmm. allow for people to live in a culture and an environment that does not have those emotions of exclusion. That is the time in which you are really opening up to people's brilliance, to people's engagement, to people's offering of their ideas and, and solutions to problems 
in a free-flowing state of contribution and engagement. That is what inclusion is all about in the context of diversity, inclusion, and equity. That's fascinating. And and I love the the use of the term healing. So many people we talk to on this podcast and in in medtech, part of their industry, this industry, because they want to heal others outside the company, patients, they want to create devices that make people physically better. It occurs to me that in your description, you're doing much of the same thing, but for those who are in the company and who are actually doing that. It's a nice, it's an accurate, nice way to present it. And I think it's not often seen that way. It's inclusion is can often, unfortunately, be seen as something that's put upon others when in fact you're trying to just sort of create a healthier atmosphere for all. And and I'm kind of, yeah. Yes, exactly. I love that take. So you moved to Medtronic in, in, in 2020 and we can keep talking about this, but you mentioned there was already work being done at the company. What did you find, uh, in place and, and what sort of tools does a company need to have to create that healing? <laughs> well, I, I found a lot of stuff. First of all, I, I, you know, I even shared this with the CEO and, and uh, the CHRO. It's like Medtronic was this like hidden gem. It's like it's doing all this work and, and where have they been? How are we not telling our story uh, more loudly? Medtronic actually many years prior to me and under the former uh, CEO, Amar Shrock, started on a journey of making sure inclusion and diversity at the time, because uh, we brought in equity later, but d- inclusion and diversity were treated just like any other book of business, so to, su- so to speak. They enacted goals. They put together foundational programs for development for you know, different populations. They set up employee resource groups and networks. They set up a governance structure for managing the accountability for this work through quarterly diversity reviews and so forth. So all of those mechanisms were in place prior to me joining. So I didn't need to bring any of that, which is where a lot of other CDOs and the rise of CDOs after 2020 Mm -hmm. are still starting from. So that foundation is really, really strong because you asked what are the elements that a company needs to have in order to advance this work? You need CEO commitment. You need to make sure that you have accountability measures throughout your organization and that you have specific things you're measuring over time. The organization had set goals in 2015, representation goals, to meet them in 2020, and they did for both gender and for ethnic diversity. You, As I hope you know, you see in our inclusion diversity report, we've set another set of goals now between um, this year and another five years from now for women in management and for ethnic diversity in management as well. But those foundational elements were there. And what we did after that in 2020 is we really looked at, we were, we were centered upon ourselves and our workforce. And what 2020 helped crystallize for us and most every company out there is it's no longer enough for an organization to only look at its workforce and what it's doing for itself within itself. The need for organizations to look at themselves and their impact on the communities around them has, was, was more pronounced and accelerated than ever. And that was the impetus for us actually changing and codifying a new strategy that has three prongs. It has three pillars, we call it, which is, you know, being accountable role models individually. So what should we as each individual do? 
and then ingraining this into our DNA. How do we make this, how do we make ourselves as a company that this is within our fabric? It's in our DNA through and through. And then how do we amplify our impact beyond our four walls? Those are the three pillars now for our new strategy. And those were codified based off of what we had known from before, this need to accelerate now and, and do, do more faster in this space going forward. And that's how we've organized our work now. And that's where our strategy is in terms of its big pillars. So let's get into the report, if now is a good time to do it, because it sounds as if that's that's where you're, you're tracking your progress. And I would love to understand how you do quantify progress in this, because it's one thing for me to seize upon the term healing, but we're not talking about a broken bone where you can x-ray mm-hmm. it and see it from compared mm-hmm. from now to two weeks ago. How are you measuring success at Medtronic? We measure success in a lot of different ways, but we look at the problem also in different ways. So I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to talk to you about how we look at the issue, Mm -hmm. because then how we look at the issue informs how you solve for the, for the problems. The Racial Equity Institute many, many years ago came up with this metaphor to explain to people, if you're going to be on this journey of equity and and diversity, inclusion, and and so forth. Here's a way in which to think about it. It's interesting because it talks about lakes and we're in Minnesota, so I'm going (laughs) to use it. (laughs) So it it says, you know, if you walk outside and you live on a lake and, and, and you see a fish come up dead in the lake, what you'd naturally do is you'd go, you'd examine the fish. You'd say, why did this one fish die? So let's say extrapolate that into your work environment or into an education system and you go, okay, why did this one employee uh, not succeed or not get promoted? Or why did, why is this one student not doing well in school? But if you walk outside to your lake and you find half of the fish came up dead, you would say, oh, well, let me examine the water. Mm -hmm. What's happening in the environment around this population of, of uh, you know, students or, or fish that I need to address. But if you have five lakes in front of you or more, and you come outside and every lake has 50% of its fish belly up dead, you start looking into what you call the groundwater. Mm-hmm. You look at what are the systemic things in the system that are rigged against certain population of every system that makes it that these specific fish are the ones that are dying no matter which space they're in. So when you extrapolate that to equity or the agenda of equity in in America or how you look and address these issues, you want to first understand that it affects systems at whole you look at within your organization, what makes people not advance at the same rate? You look at in your communities, who's getting access to education and who's not? You look in your small business and you say, who's getting access to capital and who's getting business or not? The notion of the metaphor is to help you understand you've got to look deeper and you've got to look systemically at things in order to measure whether or not you're making progress and in order to know what are the things you want to tackle. And the reason I personally like that, because when you train as a physician, you train to diagnose, you know, your shoulder pain. If you go and you just try to fix the shoulder, it might be probably from your heart because there's, you know, deferred pain. 
So you learn to diagnose deeper to understand what's really the, at the root cause of an issue. So we as a company and many, many other companies, but at Medtronic, we measure this in clear things. We measure, our, is our talent moving up the chain equitably? If you have X percent at the bottom, is that X percent represented at the top? Mm-hmm. You look at if people are applying at a certain percentage, are they making it through into jobs at that same rate? You look at when I'm spending money external to Medtronic, am I doing my part in giving a portion of my business to small and women and minority owned businesses? You look at what role am I playing in increasing minorities and women in STEM programs? So we, we look at that collective. We look at how are we doing in terms of numbers? We look at how are employees feeling? through our own like People Pulse surveys, our own organizational health surveys and so forth, the stories we're telling, how are people really engaged or not? And then we look at these other elements of equity through and through, who's participating in development programs, how are we doing to affect change in our communities, whether supplier diversity, increase of BIPOC talent and, and gender diversity in STEM, health inequities and disparities, what's the role we play in that? So it's a multitude of metrics that we actually sit together on a quarterly basis with the CEO for a full day. The CEO and his direct report sit with us for a full day every quarter, and we go through Mm -hmm. all of these metrics across the board to assess our progress. Do you find it's necessary to address the issue of representation first, of making sure you get the right mix of people into the organization before you address the, maybe the cultural feeling, or is it the other way around, or do you have to address them both at the, at the same time? I love that you asked that question, Tom, because you actually do have to address them both at the same time. And it's mm-hmm. good if you start our inclusion journey first. I'll tell you why. So But I'm going to start with maybe defining diversity. So many people think about diversity and think that's about representation. That's about me counting the people in the room. Mm -hmm. Are we X this and are we Y that? But the reality of what diversity is really all about is cognitive diversity. It's that people from different backgrounds, experiences, and so forth think differently about any situation, about any problem, about anything that's in front of them. That cognitive diversity is what makes teams who are diverse smarter. It makes them not get fall into something called groupthink. It makes them think differently. They see things differently. And so they ideate differently in order to create innovation and breakthrough. So if you have cognitive diversity, but you put that in a dish in, a, in an environment where people are feeling frustrated, scared, lonely, feelings of exclusion, they're not feeling safe and empowered and valued and so forth, then you're not leveraging the cognitive diversity that you're working so hard to gain through diversity and representation in your actual environment. Hmm. So it's important to have the environment that supports that the cognitive diversity is leveraged or else you're just spinning a lot of wheels creating more chaotic and troublesome environments than not. Because research actually shows that with diversity comes more chaos, comes more tension. If you're sitting around at a table with like-minded people and everybody's thinking the same, there's no friction. 
because we're all thinking similarly. People are, are group thinking and just building on each other oh so. But once you get in players who are openly expressing a completely different set of opinions, mm -hmm. then friction happens. And it's in that friction that that chaos or inclusion or lack thereof starts to play. So when you have an inclusion and diversity strategy or agenda, one of the things you're really trying to do is reduce that friction, that relational friction between teams so that people can be free to engage in a way that's safe, that half-baked ideas can be shared, that people are pointing out no matter where the levels of authority are on the team, they can point out uh, issues that they think might be problematic. Mm -hmm. They can disagree with each other and it's safe. That is the only time when having diversity and inclusion leads to breakthroughs in innovation and creativity and you leverage all the benefits that you get from this work. Do you look at, I hadn't really thought about this until recently though, with children, you tend to understand the d different patterns of neural diversity. I mean, we're when we talk about diversity, we talk, I think, in our minds and our conversations, we think about gender and, and race and the color of your skin. But neural diversity is something that's, I think, now being understood, uh, just how we learn differently, how we work differently. Does that come into play? Is that factored into what you're trying to do? Absolutely. It, it does and it should. Although that path, I think, most organizations are farther behind on than we kind of need to and need to mature to. Neurodiversity, generational diversity, style diversity. I like to explain to people all the time that every time you're in a room, there's introverts and extroverts. That alone is diversity right there. But it, it, it's all of those facets and all of those facets working together. And I think a lot of companies miss the point that your employees want this. Every employee, every human being wants an environment that is safe for them to be who they are. And if we're being realistic about who we are, we are, we are all having issues that we contend with, that we try to hide from those around us, lest we be judged, lest we be thought of as less than or not as competent or so forth. People who work in inclusion, diversity, and equity, we are taking on this charge and this challenge to try and dismantle organizationally the stigmas of being different, the stigmas of mental health or differently abled communities or people who have historically uh, been challenged in different ways that need something different, like equity is not equality. It's not giving the people the same thing. It's giving people what they need in order for them to thrive. That piece is, is where the magic of why this work matters and, and how you do it is where the complexity lies and where the challenge still is. But what I really like in this time and age, I was, re I was reading uh, just yesterday, Tom, Larry Fink's latest, Larry Fink is the CEO of BlackRock big, huge investor, investor in Medtronic. And he writes a letter to CEOs every year. And he's a white heterosexual male, which I love when a white heterosexual male speaks to issues of equity and inclusion and so forth. And he says that it's a new era for CEOs. It's an era where your employees have a stronger and broader say 
in who you are as an employer. And that CEOs of this current time must and have to reckon with what matters to them must really matter to you. So aligning organizational purpose and values with what your employees' values and desired purpose for your organization, those things have to align now more than ever before. Your investors want to make sure that you're long-term sustainable and your employees and future talent want to know that you care about things that they care about too. And if the pandemic has taught any of us anything, I think it's taught us a lot about empathy for each other. It's taught us a lot about what really matters to us as human beings. And we have discovered that that's not money and status. We have discovered that it's our well-being, it's our relations, it's our connection. Those are the things that are mattering to us more. Very well said. Boy, I could talk and talk and talk about this topic. Talk about the report. You issued it recently. What were the findings? What uh, is this is the second or the third report you've issued since you've been there? Probably the second. It's actually the third report because Medtronic had a report prior to me. Okay. And now this mm-hmm. is in our third year. Okay. What um, were the findings? I really look forward to actually hearing, you know, as we get feedback around it, what people think, because that's the reason we put it out to inspire and, and show our progress. But the theme for our report this year is zero barriers. We've built our philosophy in this space and in this business strategy around our role in dismantling the barriers that we know to exist for different populations wherever kind of they exist. So the theme is zero barriers. And that's what played into our strategy, our strategic pillars, and how we've designed our work. The report is designed to show people live examples of how our own employees have shown up in dismantling and alleviating those barriers, no matter where where they're at. So you'll find uh, stories in there about, you know, a VP who went out and by herself built out an intern program for interns, people of color in her own field in, in research, or how we have taken on a relationship with Thurgood Marshall College Fund to increase the number of interns and scholarships from historically black colleges and universities. You'll find stories of how we started a supplier diversity program globally in our EMEA region and in South Africa, going beyond our supplier diversity work here in the United States. You'll see our progress on all of our representation goals. And that's a huge thing for companies to be as transparent as we're being about where they're at. It's not about have you arrived. It's about are you on the journey and in the arena fighting the good fight to make progress? So you'll see that we've set new five-year goals for 45% women in management by our fiscal year 2026 and to be at 30% for ethnic diversity in management plus by that same time frame. And you'll see very transparently all of the metrics that we have around pay equity, how we're 100% on most of those metrics, how our organizational health survey scores are. It's a very transparent report about storytelling regarding our journey and how we are advancing this work a step at a time. Great. And the final question, have you seen results 
today or changes today that you can tie to not only the improvements you've made, but the goals that you're set. You're having this conversation, you're, you're, you're sort of resetting or, or not Medtronic, but you're re-energizing this sort of focus on, on inclusiveness and, and diversity. Do you hear of anecdotally or do you have empirical evidence showing that there's a, a benefit to the organization that people are innovating better or they're, they're calling in sick fewer times? Anything today that you're sort of pointing to and saying, well, good, we have, we have something concrete that's happened now and we can't wait to see what happens in the future. Absolutely, Tom. We Almost every metric we measure, we have gone up on. Actually, this year, we've already met our Women in Management Plus goal. We've already met our ethnic diversity in, in management goal. So in terms of like concrete, the representation is there. But in terms of the stories that we're hearing, uh, the effect that we're having on people, the metrics of engagement. I'll give you a little, a few examples on that. So we have found that our employees who are engaged in employee resource groups or our networks have almost double digit increases in their engagement scores. Engagement is huge for organizations. So that's a big, big metric. But then we bring along what we are really proud of and I think is a huge motivator in this space, which is storytelling. We have an employee who is in our manufacturing facilities who'd been in her job for many, many years and never gotten a promotion. And through one of our projects that we're working on now called Multiple Pathways Initiative, we are taking a stance on removing the four-year degree requirement in certain sectors of our jobs, in manufacturing and IT and so forth. And this employee, for the first time ever in her career, was promoted because we took away the four-year degree requirement for that promotion right there. When you hear her tell her story about how proud she is of her company to do something like that and help her get out of generational poverty for her family, those are the things that when you hear that story, you know that you are making a difference every day in this work. That's great. Well, I, I had high expectations coming into this conversation and you, you surpassed them. So thanks for uh, your thoughts, for your question, and uh, for joining us in the podcast. Absolutely, Tom. It was my honor and appreciate you having me here today. All right, let's wrap up this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Paul Grand, you are our guest. Uh, once again, the deadline for filing to, uh, to participate or to present at Device Talks Boston is March 31st. We'll just say midnight. We don't have to get too particular, right? We don't want to parse it down to that. Yeah. Midnight. Just, if it's April, it's too late. So sometime, folks, do it sometime in March, please. And how can folks, well, they can, they can apply at medtechinnovator.org. But if uh, folks want to find you on social media, where are you? Where can they find you? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, they can find me mainly on LinkedIn. Um, so just Paul Grand on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Twitter as Life Science VC, uh, and uh, and that's mainly where you be you be able to find me. Um, and MedTech Innovator also you can find on LinkedIn as MedTech Innovator. On Twitter, it's MedTech Awards. So that's where you'll find us. Uh, on social media. Fantastic. Chris Newmarker, where can folks find you out there in social media land? 
Hey, I'm I'm mostly on LinkedIn too. You can find me Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. And I'm also on Twitter at Newmarker. So always happy to talk to people. I am more on LinkedIn than I am on Twitter, but I am on Twitter and uh, I don't get a lot of Twitter love. I don't know. I get some likes here and there. I give you Twitter. Oh, gives me the Twitter like love. Twitter. Thank you. You know, I try. I like your tweets. I, I like your I do more than just I, my Wordle, my Wordle uh, score every day. I, 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 yeah, I see that your posts about your kids and the, uh, you know, the, the big dig and what it turned into <laughs> and beautiful. <laughs> When it's exploring Boston. So great job. Oh, Keep posting. I, I will. Like and, how, and how I will be listening to eighties and nineties music for the rest of my life, just because it gives me great, great comfort these days. But uh, fantastic. Well, I am on Twitter at MedTech Tom. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. And uh, folks, if you wouldn't be so kind, if you would be so kind as to uh, share this podcast on your social media channels and connect to all three of us so we can follow that conversation. You can also, what can they do, Paul? You can like, follow, and subscribe. Very nice. Got <laughs> it. Nailed it. There Stuck you go. The landing. Fantastic. Yes. Nice. Like, follow, and or subscribe. And uh, you will not miss an episode of the upcoming Device Talks Weekly Podcast or our Striker Talks Podcast or our Intuitive Talks Podcast. So, And you can also find Medtronic Talks. Uh, it has its own channel. You can subscribe there. I know we had the, the interview with uh, Sally Saba. In this episode, but uh, you, we usually don't run those Medtronic conversations on this podcast. So please do make sure you subscribe to Medtronic Talks. And of course, you can find them all on devicetalks.com and also look for them on the individual company sites. Great. Well, once again, we have Device Talks Boston with the MedTech Innovator coming up on May 10th and 11th. If you want to uh, save a little money, you have until midnight tonight, December, I'm sorry, December, March 11th. To uh, get our <laughs> to get our early time flies by, Tom. <laughs> oh my God! To get our early bird special, uh, early bird special, early bird rate, and uh, you'll save yourself a hundred dollars off the cost if you uh, subscribe today on subscribe, register today on March 11th. But uh, if you've missed that window, you still have a great opportunity for savings. Use the code DTW25 and you'll save 25% off the price. And uh, it's going to be a great show, Paul. I'm excited to have MedTech Innovator there. You got to be there or be somewhere. Sure, I'm going to be there. Um, I'm going to be there with my whole team and 30 amazing companies, 60 of our partners and investors and others. We're all coming. So we're bringing 100 plus people to Device Talks. We're not messing around. Um, We're excited. excited. We're We're very excited, guys. As are we. So masks are coming off in Boston. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. No, we will. Uh, we are actually got an email about uh, about uh, COVID protections or whether there'll be masks and proof of vaccination in Boston. The moment neither is required, but folks are encouraged to uh, take whatever steps they want to do to uh, yeah. to, to be safe. Um, it's, exactly. So. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, thanks, folks, for tuning into this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode waiting for you. 